<laughs> oh no okay wait stop <laughs> wait we're here to talk about philosophy and ethics and uh greek stuff oh i thought this was what i did last night the podcast what this is gonna be a terrible podcast <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Ergo Sum, an ethics-first political philosophy discussion among friends, a light-hearted exploration of the human condition, my little contribution to the great conversation. This is a show where we address big concepts from philosophy, politics, history, anthropology, the arts, anything. Basically, any idea that may have appeared capitalized in a college textbook is fair game. Ultimately, I'm hoping to create a really good, broad overview of political and social philosophy and ethics, at least to start. Our goal is to get a good grasp of the concepts, talk about how they changed the world, and address what those changes actually meant for real people. Mostly, it's a philosophy podcast for people who hate philosophy podcasts. Big ideas, bigger mouths. And this is going to be episode number one, and we're going to talk about Plato and the Republic just because he came first and we have no choice. We have to talk about him. Yeah, fine. Okay, my name is Austin. Today, I'm going to be joined by Matt, Nicola, and Nestor. Um, let's do like little itty-bitty baby introductions. Matt, you want to try first? Just what? who are you and what is your background and what are you in- interested in and stuff? Hello, Internet. My name is Matt. I do engineering stuff. I went to school with Austin and Nicola. And I'm here to look like an idiot. Wait, Matt, Matt, Matt is a rocket scientist. Matt is my rocket scientist. We were, we were roomies and housemates in college. Yeah, Nicola, want to go for it? Sure. My name is Nicola. Uh, Austin and Matt and I used to be roomies back in college. I am a self-driving car engineer. I live in San Francisco. And I'm an Aquarius. Oh, Oh. now I understand uh, you finally. (laughs) Now that's Nicola. I saw a bunch of I saw a bunch of cars uh, honking at one of the cruise cars the other day because it like wouldn't make a dangerous left turn in the middle of a light. (laughs) All the cars were like, "Go!" Yeah, it's great. That's how you know it's a cruise car because everybody's yelling at it. (laughs) (laughs) And Nestor, who are you? Hi, I'm Nestor. Uh, I'm a senior producer, an event producer for an ad agency. So I guess I work for the devil. Um, mm. That shouldn't yeah. make it. That shouldn't make it to the public, I guess. But uh, my wife is also an Aquarius. I live in New York, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and we work in uh, TV, film, and ad. So they're here because they they create stuff, and because they are dear old friends of mine, and because they create stuff, and that's what this is about. Who are you? Me, I'm Austin. I already feel like I did. Wait, hold on. Okay. If this is the first episode, you haven't introduced yourself yet. Well, okay. So we're oh, going to talk right. about Plato and the Republic, right? But as this is the first episode, it's also my opportunity not just to start the episode, but to start the whole show, right? And I want to start with the concept of strange making. I know that's a weird place to start talking about Plato, and it's also a weird way to introduce myself, but we'll come back around to it later as we get through this, and it also explains, you know, sort of my interest and why I thought this was the right podcast to do. Um, okay, strange making. 
Uh, this is an idea that has directed some of my choices for a long time, and it's a pursuit I've actively engaged in for about as long as I can remember. But the phrase, strange making, is new to me, and it was an inst- uh, instant favorite for me. Um, it's something I got from my brother-in-law, Joseph, and it comes from an idea that I do actually know really well from my anthropology minor. Uh, the idea is making the familiar strange. Right, Making the familiar strange is a pretty common idea in anthropology, that we should practice looking at all things without the lens of familiarity, that we should try to apply the same suspicions to our own life that we might apply to a foreign or alien civilization. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like it. So I bring it up here and now uh, at the very beginning of my philosophy podcast because... I think it's an essential idea if you're going to uh, actually participate and do philosophy, you're going to have to adopt that mindset. So personally, I've always found that idea of strange making, of adopting those kinds of perspectives, I've always found that idea a little scary, kind of vulnerable, but like very exciting, Um, right? It's kind of a, it's a risky place to be, but it's also a place where growth comes from. I think this is probably what drove me to philosophy and anthropology and by way of introducing myself, I, ha- I have minors in both of those things. And then I also studied journalism. What's funny about journalism is that it's kind of the opposite. It's about making the strange familiar. Uh, and voila, making people familiar with strange making is what the show is about. So you guys want to talk about Plato? All right. Plato was born in supposedly 428 or 427 BCE. For context, this is the same year that Sophocles was writing Oedipus Rex. Hmm. I think I need to turn off the like internal monitor because I'm about to go insane. <laughs> How do I turn that off? Hello? How about now? Say, hey, Nestor, say something. Dad! Damn it. No, okay. Dad! Oh, there we go. <laughs> Let's see. Hello? Hello? Hello. Okay. This might be workable. Wait. Okay. Matt, can you talk to? Hey, what's up? Okay. That's, I think that's going to work. I think I can, yeah, I think I can make it work. (laughs) I'm going to, okay, let's start. uh, Plato was born in 428 (laughs) or 427 BCE. Or 29. Or maybe 426. Oh. So this is actually going to be a running theme here. This is ancient Greek history. And it is all theoretical at best, speculative, <laughs> and like up for debate, right? So we don't know a whole lot for sure about Plato's life until he was like in his 40s. But we have a lot of records that seem to sort of line up from different places. So a lot of scholars have tried to reconstruct, you know, a really good picture of his life. But it's all speculative and it's all debated. But so much of it is fun and so much of it does a good job of sort of uh, characterizing his role in history. It does a good job of showing like what a big figure he was and how like mythical he was. So it's fun to talk about because the stories are, are relevant, right? They kind of paint his character. And they also help to remember him him and like see him as a, a fictional character which helps me like remember the interplay of all the different people i don't know okay so 428 or 427 bce matt got it for context this is the same year that sophocles was writing oedipus rex uh i tried to find more context or broader context but as it turns out apparently nothing worth remembering happened at all outside of greece in the 430s or 420s there was a chinese emperor who cast what must have been a really fucking sweet set of bells but everything else in the world has been lost to lost to the sands of time that's it shit oedipus rex plato, plato. Was born 
some some Greek shit and like a Chinese emperor who cast some sweet bells to take to the <laughs> afterlife with him. <laughs> and that's it. And we don't even know his name. Do you know his name? Uh, the internet does, but I didn't think it was relevant. <laughs> <laughs> but see, isn't that good context? Yum, good context. Now Great. we know. It's you perfect. understand when he was born now. So, there is also debate regarding the origins of Plato's name. Uh, the way the myth goes, he was originally named after uh, his grandfather, Aristocles. Oh, I'm going to be pronouncing so many like Greek names, and I'm really hopeful. You guys cross your fingers for me. Aristocles. I think that's right. So, right, the myth goes, he was named Aristocles, and then as a young man, his wrestling coach, Ariston of Argos, nicknamed him Platon, which in Greek meant wide or broad-shouldered, supposedly for his imposing muscular figure. There are also some competing myths that Plato named himself Plato as a reference to how, like, big and wide his big brain is. You can't give yourself a nickname. <laughs> My words are so broad and deep. Wide brain. Yeah, wide brain, exactly. <laughs> um, and that all said, so, that, so like scholars have been talking about this for this stupid thing for such a long time. Modern scholars like to point out that there are lots of records of lots of people named Plato in Greece and in Athens at this time. So there's no reason to think that it wasn't just actually his name. There's no <laughs> record to say that it wasn't his name. But, you know, there's, yeah. there's a room for a story there. So there's a story there. Um, so also some other interesting myths that cropped up around him. Uh the, the biggest one is the ever-popular divine intervention around conception. So not, a, not an immaculate conception, because he had older siblings, but sort of the same idea that he wasn't actually conceived by his father. He was conceived by a god. Supposedly, his dad was making aggressive moves on his mom, and she was just not having it. And then Apollo came to him in a dream, to the dad, came to him in a dream, and said, like, yo, dog, cut it out. Chill out. Not, not cool, dude. And then when they woke up in the morning, the, the wife was pregnant. I'm like, wait a second. Like Anakin Skywalker. Mm-hmm. And no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's crazy that, that they got that from Star Wars. Yeah. It was a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away, so. Uh, at a time, <laughs> new set time to travel. Hey, whoa. <laughs> That's a good point. That Star Wars did happen first. Star Wars did it first. Before, <laughs> before only Plato is the only place that that ever happened again, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see, there's another myth that I thought this was so funny. There's a myth that, uh, that baby Plato was like laying in a field and a bunch of bees like landed on his lips as a sign that his words were going to be so sweet and like mellifluous. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, cause bees like honey and his lips were going to make sweet words. So the bees liked his lips. That is like authentic ancient Greek dorkiness. <laughs> right? They're like, yeah. Those dudes, those doing. dudes had a way with words, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so as a dad, I really appreciated that bit and had to put it in here. <laughs> All right. Plato, like most historical philosophers, or honestly most historical figures, came from a wealthy and well-connected family. That's unsurprising. It takes a lot of surplus resources to be able to educate someone the way that Plato would have been educated. Uh, he would have studied grammar, so that's reading and writing, uh, music, gymnastics, and philosophy, which at the time was, you know, philosophy the way that we think about it, but also that encompassed like the natural sciences, right? Those were the domain of philosophy at that point. Um, and he had the best teachers that money could buy. While Plato was still a young child, his wealthy and well-connected father passed away suddenly, and uh, his family was plunged into hardship and adversity. 
Well, no. No, actually, he wasn't, because his mother was forced to uh, marry her uncle, who was also wealthy and well-connected. Uh, that, that kind of marriage off to your uncle uh, in the case of a husband's death was pretty common practice in well-to-do Greek families. There's a lot, of, a lot of money there, right? There's a lot of like material resources attached to that family. And because women weren't allowed to own anything, that, that, those resources would just be lost. So what they do is they keep it in the family and they marry her off to her uncle. Um, so... It's terrible. The like uh, first cousin marriages were really common too, but so on the on the bright side, Plato got to keep up his grammar and gymnastics lessons. (laughs) Uh, So Plato grew up in a really full house, and many of his siblings also appear in his works. He uses them as characters in a lot of his earlier his earlier writing. Um, They're often presented in those stories in a way so as to highlight their high place in society. But he always sort of presented himself as a humble character. And honestly, he, more often than not, he left himself out of stuff. He, he substituted himself with Socrates in most of the things that he wrote. So usually Socrates is just a stand-in for, for this is Plato's ideas. Um, but he didn't like to talk about himself. But he did like to really kind of like lift up his, his siblings, which is interesting. I don't know. Something that a lot of the different, a lot of scholars point it out, but nobody makes anything of it. But they all hmm. like to point it out. It appears that it was through this extended, well-connected family that Plato first met Socrates, actually, who was already friends with his uncle, Charmides, God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and his <laughs> mother's cousin, Critias. Did you say Charmin- Charmandes? Charmander. Charmander. His okay. uncle, Charmander. No, no, I get it. Okay. Yeah, I got so, it. So, yeah, Socrates, <laughs> the uncle, yes. uncle Charmander, nice. and <laughs> his mother's evil cousin Critias. <laughs> so, okay, here's the deal with Critias. He's a big deal. He actually, like, if you were, a, a, you know, a nerd for Greek history, you would totally know his name. He's this big, like, contentious political figure in Greek history. So if you're somebody who studied, you know, Greece and ancient Greece, then you would totally know about him because he and also that other, uh, that other uncle, Charmady, Charmander, Critias <laughs> and Charmander, <laughs> were uh, both installed into government as members of what eventually got called the 30 Tyrants, um, which is a government that Sparta put in place in Athens after they conquered them during the Peloponnesian War. So uh, Plato was born and grew up during the Peloponnesian War. He, Some scholars think that he probably fought in it. His older brothers that we mentioned definitely fought in the Peloponnesian War. And then Athens, his hometown, lost. And Sparta came in and took a bunch of people and said, okay, you 30 people who are loyal to Sparta, you're now in charge of Athens. You are running Athens. And one of the like two main leaders of that group, which they were really bad, mean, evil people, one of the two leaders was Critias. So... So Critias, right, in the uh, the Thirty Tyrants. So Critias and Charmander were friends with Socrates, right? So Socrates, because of his friendship with these powerful people, was allowed to stay in Athens and keep teaching philosophy, or even during this occupation, during this time where the 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 uh, the Thirty Tyrants were running Athens. Part of what they were doing was they were they were uh, squashing any basically any thinkers, anybody that was asking questions or wasn't buying into sort of the like the the Spartan mindset, right? So Athenians had been real pro-democracy, Sparta not pro-democracy. They came in and they put these people in charge. They said, you 30 are in charge. You need to squash out anything that was happening here before, including, you know, democracy and thought and, you know, philosophy. So they were they were punishing and killing all these people. 
However, because Socrates was pals with them, he was protected. Um, he even like openly refused to do some of the things that they you know told him to do. He was ordered to to go collect um, some some man and bring him to be killed, and he refused to do it. Anybody else would have been executed for that, but Socrates was not because he was buddies with Critias. After the after the thirty tyrants were deposed, eventually, and Athens was you know put back together and it you know, became a democratic uh, like nation state again. This was one of the things that was used against Socrates in the trial that led to his death. The fact that he was allowed to stay in Athens and keep teaching was used as evidence against him. Like, you're, you're a bad person because otherwise, you know, the 30 tyrants would have killed you if you were a good guy. So, like, what are you, what are you doing here? Mm. Um, so, those relatives... Some good logic. Of, yeah, right. Very, yeah, Solid. Exactly. Uh-huh. Solid thoughts. Solid. So those relatives of Plato's that introduced him to Socrates, that like set his, you know, world afire by introducing him to Socrates, who changed his whole life, they also, in their way, led to the death of Socrates, which is kind of twisted. I thought that was a little sad. So Socrates' death happened in 399. Plato would have been in his late 20s. His, his whole deal at this point was basically being a student of Socrates, right? And then Socrates dies. So obviously this changed his whole world, right? Um, some point in that following decade between, you know, his, in his like late 20s and 30s, it seems that he did a bunch of traveling. Again, it's impossible to prove that he was anywhere for sure, but it seems like a lot of scholars tend to agree that he made it as far as Egypt, which is, you know, well-traveled for the time. Um, at some point in his 40s, he made it back to Athens, um, and he did a big thing. Did anybody read this far in the script? Yeah, I mean, two seconds. Negative. No, stop, stop, stop. Matt, stop. No, does, it, does anybody know what he did? So this is like maybe the biggest thing that Plato did. He did a thing, what thing? that we talk about now, and we know for sure he did because it was such a big deal. Did he write a book? <laughs> I mean, he did do that. That's one of the things that we know he we know he did. Now he founded the first academy. He he founded the mm. first like school of higher learning. So he came back to Athens. And this is the like the earliest uh, central organized place of learning in Western civilization. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll double check, but I'm sure the Eastern world has some quote schools that precede this. But this is like the earliest some quote university. School. <laughs> 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 well, whatever, I mean. whatever they think that is. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as like to to call the academy a place of higher learning like that could be confusing too, right? Like it's it is a, a word that has a really specific connotation now that like when when you go back and compare it it maybe doesn't translate so directly because like lots of people were being educated already right he he had tutors but it was all that kind of like private education so he brought a bunch of people together in one place and created mm. a community based on learning and that school actually operated for 300 years oh wow and that's like uh, Aristotle was a student there. And that's what Plato made the rest of his life about. He basically like hung out. He was like, you know, the the principal of the school, right? He was like in charge. He did philosophy. He taught philosophy. He wrote a bunch and he ran the school. Uh, he lived until his early 80s, supposedly. And then he died real peacefully. Um, Nicola, that's very distracting. <laughs> I, I mean, the idea of someone living until their 80s in like 400 BC sounds a little oh yeah preposterous, but you know. He, he is an old guy. I'll, I'll I'll take that. I'll take it. Right. That I think. Yeah. That's sort of my takeaway from this is that he lived Moses, a long time. Moses Moses lived to be four hundred. So you guys are both. <laughs> I know they ate organic back then. So that's true. That's true. red wine. 
<laughs> uh, uh, wait, okay, wait. Here's my favorite detail. You, you guys totally stomped all over like the punchline of that whole bit about him being. <laughs> so uh, there's the like the main uh, recount of the death is that he had some like beautiful young woman sitting there playing flute for him as he like calmly laid in the bed and passed, like listening to the music. Wow, nice. But like. Who the hell knows? What a ridiculous thing. Like all of these ancient scholars are ridiculous, man. They I don't know, the whole thing makes me laugh because he like, probably shot himself to death yeah, okay. and they had to make it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. dude. Yeah. It's it's so much that. <laughs> yeah, he, he probably died at like 36 from like a chicken bones lodged in his throat. No, he was still in Egypt meeting Jeremiah from the Bible or whatever when he was 36. I like the flute story. I'm sticking with the flute yeah, story. Yeah, dude, 81 or 82. And some, Sounds like, nice. Yeah, some, some beautiful young woman plays him out. Yeah. That's the last thing I want as I die is somebody with a flute over my deathbed. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's like literally worse than waterboarding. I, like, I don't know. That's what killed him. Yeah, yeah. He had another yeah. 10 years left in him. Yeah, what kind of flute is this? Like pan flute? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody know any ancient Greek music? Just the stuff from the Troy soundtrack. Yeah. I did all the things about his life. Do you feel like we know Plato as a character? Yeah. We ready to talk about what he actually like said? Totally. Or what Super. he said that Socrates said. Right. What what somebody said that he said that Socrates Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So which one which one is real actually? Like I've heard that like Plato is Socrates and Socrates is Plato. Like what's up with that? Um yeah, so uh, so they're both real. They're both historical people. Um Socrates mostly I think is left over as a character in Plato. Okay. Right, so most of what we know about Socrates is what Plato left behind about him, which means probably a lot of it is colored heavily by Plato. So did Plato assume the like assume Socrates' voice as like a point of authority or yeah. is he trying to distance himself from his work? Both. Mm. Interesting. M- mostly the first point, yeah. Okay. It is, it is assumed authority. It's like, well, Socrates said this, so you better listen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's a good move. Yeah, that's yep. what I do with my supervisor, so that makes sense. Yeah, nice. <laughs> my boss Relatable. said this. Yeah. So, first of all, okay. So, okay. Just a little, a little, like, a little uh, roadmap. So, ultimately, the goal, right? We're talking about political philosophy and ethics, right? Uh, Plato's really famous for writing a piece called Republic. Um, this is considered by many to be like the first work of political philosophy. He was one of the first people to sit down and like write a speculative piece about what a government could look like. So, you know, he, he sort of started off political philosophy as we know it. A lot of people would call him like the father of all philosophy. There's a, there's a common trope that like all of Western philosophy is just footnotes to Plato. That's something that people like to say, right? So before Republic, there are some other sort of like foundational ideas that we've got to, we've got to lay down. So first is the idea of uh, platonic forms, right? The theory of forms. 
probably something you guys have heard of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yep. something that we like. It's an idea we use colloquially pretty like pretty commonly. Um, anybody else want to try to define it before I do my little version of it? Uh... <laughs> platonic form. It's Come on. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll give my shot. I know, okay. Nicola can do so it. my shot is uh, basically uh, everything that we like, everything in the world is just a shadow of its ideal form and that everything out there has this, this, this ideal form. So when you like think about a chair, there's like the ideal form of a chair. And then when you see chairs, you recognize them because they're, they are like a shadow of a real chair. I don't know. That's yeah. No, no, no. That's a hundred percent exactly perfect. And you actually went like way beyond what I was expecting you to even say. Sweet. Yeah. A no, plus. That was, that was, <laughs> was, yeah. Here, can we so go back and can we do it stupider? Yeah. Go back and do it stupider. All right. Okay. It's like a shadow. Matt, repeat what I just said. <laughs> it's like a shadow and, uh, <laughs> it's like not the real one it's like the shadow one yeah yeah, yeah. it's like a shadow <laughs> thing uh, okay so what i what i was asking for was just sort of the idea uh like the definition the way that we use the word platonic form colloquially is often it's just sort of like the perfect ideal of a thing it is the idea at the center of the word right uh as a as a native californian my my perfect example is always like in and out a double double is not it's not the most delicious or most perfect or most swanky hamburger in the world but it is the most cheeseburger cheeseburger possible <laughs> can't get any more cheeseburger than a double double you can make a better cheeseburger than a double double but it's not more cheeseburger mm-hmm. right so the, the double double is the platonic form of the cheeseburger nestor you've been living on the east coast stop rolling your eyes you don't know <laughs> oh no yeah it's well, just no, like love, shake shack for life out. what'd you say nestor I said, I love In-N-Out. I hate Shake Shack. Oh. All the burgers I hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Plato, as Nicola explained, definitely had a little bit more sort of to that idea when he actually proposed it and used it as an argument. Okay. So I'm going to rewind a, a second again. Matt, this is going to be kind of familiar from our test run. Uh, but early Greek philosophers were the first recorded formal thinkers we have to look back on in Western history. So a lot of what they were doing was coming up with words and ideas uh, for things that we always took for granted, right? So this is another one of those, like, let's let's look at a really obvious thing and think too hard about it and come up with words and ideas for it because nobody had done that before. So now when we look back, it sounds really silly. But it's important because he did lay the groundwork for the process of philosophy, for the way that we think about things. And also, you kind of have to understand the, you know, the actual history of the thoughts to put them in a useful context, right? Why do we talk about things this way? It's because of Plato. We might not still be like talking about the ideas that he proposed, but the way that we talk about things, you know, dates back to him. So before he did that, people must have been talking about how they would like governments and and societies to exist but what did he do that people just kind of casually weren't doing what do you mean like so you were saying like he was the first one to really sit down and and talk about how we can form a society yeah but people must have been talking you know in a general sense like hey i would prefer this not prefer that we should do this we should not do that but he must have done something fundamentally different right yeah he sat down and he wrote a book he wrote a speculative book about what it would actually look like. So he's the earliest record we have where someone sat down and wrote a book that was like, this is how I would do it if I was going to build a society from square one. 
Okay. So, yeah, like the fact that he asked this question is evidence that the thinkers before him were talking about the same things, right? Which is what you're what you're saying. Um, but yeah, he and his specific book are important because it's the first one we have that is actually like a whole piece like that, which then became the default sort of way to practice political philosophy. Like, okay, that. he was the first very educated person to bother to yeah. formalize it, right? Exactly. And and because part of it, too, is like because he had the school and there are other thinkers that came out of that and that school was around for so long, his thoughts got, you know, uh, got preserved better. Right. There might have been someone else who had written the thing first, but he didn't have a school and it wasn't around for 300 years. And there was no, you know, Aristotle to, to you know, argue against it. So there isn't a tradition to like look back on. So the, the fact of the matter is it's almost just like the reality is that we happened to have built everything from Plato's tradition. So that's the one that matters. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, we're we're pretty much just ignoring like the rest of the, the world. world, you know. Just, yeah, just we'll, the West. We'll get we'll important. get back to this. Wait, the, so just the important stuff. Did I show you my outline <clears throat> for all the different things I want to talk about over the first year? Nope. Oh, I have I have uh, some like Eastern Eastern early political philosophy. There's mm-hmm. not as good of records, or they don't translate directly as well to like the no. way that we talk about politics because like the world politic the way we talk about the structure of things i think comes from western tradition i don't know we'll 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 figure that out better but i do have there's there's a dedicated episode on on like early indian philosophy and on chinese thought and philosophy at least so i, I have yeah i i have accounted for this sweet yeah, that sounds but, yeah, cool most of the language comes from the western thought which is why we have to do so much of it let's see so like we said, philosophy is strange making, right? So these people had to stop and think about things that we took for granted for a long time. And what they were trying to figure out that led Plato to the theory of the forms is they were trying to figure out what everything was, what things were, like what is, 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 what a, what a thing do. Um, they're grappling with the concept of substance itself, right? So yeah, what, there's so much stuff, but what and why is stuff at all? And Plato's solution was platonic forms. So uh, what Plato actually proposed is that none of what we sense or perceive actually is. None of those things really are. None of them exist in any meaningful way. Um, as Nicholas said, he believed that what was real was actually like capital R real. The thing that really exists is the idea, the form of the chair. So the like the thing that I'm sitting on is a shadow. It is a uh, you know a, a permutation. It is an extension of that that form of chair. I love that you use chair because that is the example every time. By the way, yeah, that's I'm the pretty classic. sure that's just what I remember from philosophy yeah, 101. That's what so, I remember because yeah. <laughs> that's what Plato talked about. Yeah, chairs. The other option is table. <laughs> you know what? No, you know what the other one is. This is my other option. Red. Mm. Oh, that's that. Now you're getting too weird. <laughs> yeah, that's too abstract. Red and qualities of things are also a form, but they don't have like a you know a concrete a concrete thing to tie it to. So they're they are like applied to other forms in a complicated. I don't know. The whole thing. Are falls we gonna start apart the more you look at it? Are we gonna start talking about quality? That's a dangerous topic. <laughs> Let's bring it back. How, no wait, qu- wait. <laughs> what do you mean? You know, like you know, like like what what makes something have quality? Oh, we are read, so like, going there. That's like, what Plato was like, to do. Uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Yeah, yeah. You know, like how do you know something? Like you read a paper, you know, and it's like, oh, that was a shit paper. Or you read it, and you're like, oh, that was real good. Never mind. Anyway, no, no. 
That is exactly what Plato was trying to do. Oh, God. Okay. What you just did is exactly why the Republic <laughs> exists and why it's, you know, now we look at it and we're like, well, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We start talking about quality and Nestor's like, I'm fucking out of here. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, <laughs> He's like I hate motorcycles. <laughs> so, so, like I said, Pl- Plato was proposing that none of what we actually sense or perceive, none of the things that our senses can give us, nothing that we can touch or smell or see or feel is actually real. He noted the malleability of definitions of things, and thus, and this is an argument from analogy, which is pretty common in the ancient world, he assumed a malleability of reality as well. So if we see a chair, and I ask you what it is, your answer is going to be chair, but what you're identifying is the form of the thing. Um, But how many different chairs can there be in the world? Totally different objects, but we use the same word, and we understand that they're the same thing. Plato wondered what the form actually was and he came to the conclusion that the phenomena of the world that which we sense and perceive is essentially a pale shadow of the reality which is the perfect platonic forms right same thing that nicola was saying what what's real i think people call it platonic realism like the thing that is real is not the not the physical stuff it's the ideas right which is funny it's kind of like it's kind of an ironic platonic realism is saying that nothing is real Right. And what did he? Where was the origin of all the that? I mean, you're just pushing the the question yeah. down one. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and this is like even uh, even Aristotle like addressed this. I think probably after Plato died. But this is like you know cause Aristotle studied directly under Plato. And this is something that that um, Aristotle addressed. And we're kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But Plato would have said the form of good, goodness quality like you're talking about nicola mm. that is the thing from which all other forms are comprised right um yeah not not a very like actionable system mm-hmm. so yeah that's platonism that idea that the the phenomena is not real and that that which is real is you know the the form um and plato had an analogy that he really liked to explain this that he used a lot that you probably heard of uh, it's actually kind of funny it is literally just a pithy analogy but he used it as an argument and it literally changed the world, right? It's just a goofy analogy, but it, it worked. I mean, we're still talking about him. You guys know what analogy I'm talking about? Cave, the cave analogy? Yeah, the allegory oh, of the cave. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, again, keep in mind, this is just an analogy, right? This is like how so much thought worked for a long time. And I, 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 like, I would love to do an episode about like sort of linguistic like realism and the idea of argument from analogy like that. But... Whatever. <laughs> um, so the, the allegory is this, right? It's the cave. Um, imagine people are chained in a cave so they can't see the opening to the cave. All they can see is the back of the cave, right? So there's light shining in from behind and then people can stand behind them and, you know, make, make you know, little rabbits or whatever, make shadow puppets. And the people that are chained there, all they can see are the shadow puppets. They don't see the people making them. They don't see the light. They don't see the world outside the cave. All they see are the shadow puppets. That they're seeing something that is true about the universe in some way, right? They're getting some kind of real information, but it is poor. It is not very thorough information. It doesn't give them a lot of understanding. It doesn't give you a whole lot to work with as far as like understanding what's actually going on. It's not a not a good like explanatory place to to act from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to just to throw it out there, a more appropriate, more modern uh, analog for that would be like being born with a VR headset on, right? you wouldn't know that you were being deceived. You would be like, you know, you're closed into that reality and you assume that it's real because if it's consistent and you, you know, you can sort of explore it and it gives you feedback, why would you assume that it's false? But then 
later someone could pop that off and all of a sudden you realize like oh everything that i was experiencing was nonsense right we should totally do that to somebody <laughs> that'd be actually don't have kids so fucking crazy yeah that'd be nuts well i guess there's <laughs> like okay yeah so mm. I, I swore i wasn't gonna do this because i hate it when teachers do this like philosophy teachers do this but that's just the matrix <laughs> right sure. And I hate that so much. And that was my least favorite thing in philosophy classes. Anytime a teacher said it's the matrix, but it's like so perfect. It's a good analogy. It is, it's a good analogy. And I hate that. Better than the cave analogy. I love, I love Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I love Keanu. <laughs> I got to say, I recently rewatched the matrix. Nice. Super good. So yeah. good. Still holds up. So good. Dude, I haven't seen it in a long time. Still holds up. So good. Oh yeah. So I wish they I made like... sequels. Those would have been good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if only. Melissa was like, nice. oh, let's watch the other two. I'm like, I, don't, I can't do that. I can't. That hurts myself. Oh, man. Okay. So on one level, the cave is an analogy for what our senses are providing us about the world, right? So on another level, this allegory was often used to explain uh, the unexamined life, right? You guys are familiar with the idea of like the examined life or the unexamined life. It's a, it's a like yeah. uh, chin beardy, like pat yourself on the back kind of thing to say. Um but yeah, this was his. This was an idea for that. So, so what, what Plato thought and what he taught was that studying philosophy was like cutting those chains and getting up and walking outside of the cave and actually looking around outside the cave, or you know, taking off the headset or like un- unplugged from the matrix. Right. That's what studying philosophy is. It is the act of getting up and walking out of the cave or trying to walk out of the cave. He also believed that only through the study of philosophy could one come to understand the nature of the forms and thus to understand the true nature of reality and thus, crucially, to be able to accurately determine what is good. Quality. (laughs) Um, Yeah, boy, some of my philosophy professors from college will probably eventually hear some of these. I'm so scared. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just picking up what you dropped down. Yeah, (laughs) your fault. (laughs) You hear that? I didn't mean it. Uh, so, so Plato thought that objects were some kind of extension of a form. He also thought that the quality, uh, he thought that of qualities and emotions, like we mentioned. Um, and Plato defined the good as the superlative form, like we mentioned. What are the forms made of? It is good, just capital G, good, right? Um, it was the, the chief amongst forms as the form of which all the other forms are comprised. Plato also believed that nobody ever acted out of accordance with the good intentionally, but rather only through ignorance, right? So theoretically, he would have probably prescribed uh, philosophy lessons to criminals, right? His, like, his belief is that the reason that someone would you know, steal is not because they're trying to do something bad, but because they haven't studied philosophy, so they don't know what they're supposed to do, Right? Yeah, it's true. He's obviously he's obviously correct. So does that mean so does that mean that he thought that it like it was in man's nature to steal or does that mean that he thought that if man thought about it enough they wouldn't steal? Uh, he would have said that like the the thief for whatever reason was uh like different parts of his soul were like fighting with each other. Like Ooh. all the different the, the three parts so the soul has three parts, right? Obviously Plato proved that. Of course. Right. So the the soul is real. Yeah. And it has three parts, mm-hmm. right? You Souls. guys everybody knew that, right? Wait, you look confused. Mine has four. Didn't you read Plato? Okay. So you have a soul, it's real, and it has three parts. And if they're not like lined up real good with each other, then you might steal things because you don't know what's good because you didn't study enough philosophy. That sounds about right. 
Yeah, you guys are all nodding. Good, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we can move forward. Are we going to talk about these three parts of the soul later? A little bit. They're, oh, okay. The specifics are really not that important. All right, fine. Not even not that. They're just not important because it's nonsense, right? Like, and it, you know, philosophers will agree that that part's not really that important. Oh yeah. So there are some some pretty obvious issues with this though aristotle who was a student of plato he attended the academy he went on to form his own other academy eventually he pointed out that this wasn't actually a very useful definition because plato doesn't actually apply the good to any phenomena it's like totally separate from our perception so well like the idea of a chair we have something to hold on to to say like okay i know what a bunch of chairs look like plato intentionally specifically never actually said that anything was good or bad or like he he didn't actually say like this is what the good looks like in our world he just said that if you like study philosophy you come to understand the forms of things you understand love you understand red you understand chair and by understanding these you will then also begin to understand good so is that, again that's not is that the thought just that if you like know more you will get closer to good like good is just like knowledge or like what I, I would say that that is a that that's like sort of a a modern way to take all the edges off of what he was actually trying to say. I think he it, it's my understanding is that for him it was literally arithmetic. Oh. Um, he he was like he was a huge huge fan of Pythagoras. He studied under Pythagoras. He used the Pythagorean theorem as a proof for the theory of forms. His like belief was like, look, math works so good. Like things must be perfect, really, in reality. And all the messy stuff is is a lie. Um, and I my understanding, and obviously maybe this is maybe this is um a lot of editorializing, but it seems like to him it really was that simple. Like if you study philosophy which like in his mind was like, you know, capital P, Plato stamped, like this is what philosophy means. I've figured it out because that's how he viewed the world. If you study philosophy the way that I wrote it, you will become a good person. Oh. Like not, not, not no logical steps. Yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. that he believed in logical steps between those. I don't think that there was an explanatory part of his brain related to that. His mind, he's like, I, philo- I philosophy, you philosophy good too, come. <laughs> so philosophy was like math to him. That you're saying, yeah. I mean, that makes or, or y- y- yes, but also like I-, I think just that reality and human behavior were like math to him as well. Mm. As we get into the Republic, it becomes really obvious that he sort of like underplays the uh, like agency of individual actors. Like he really doesn't think about non-philosophers as active selves in a meaningful way. Um, so everybody, everybody else is just a pawn. Yeah. Or like, or less, like it kind of, it reads like he sees people as like, you know, automata, right? Not even selves, not, not, a, not even a pawn, like just a, a robot. Unless, unless um, they subscribe to a higher train of thought, which is like his philosophy. Unless they yeah, do unless they what study he philosophy. says. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not even that they do what, they, what he says. It's just like, just like if everyone just like thought about things the way you know like if you just think about things you'll come to the exact same conclusions right. i did it's, uh, it's obvious yeah yeah exactly <laughs> got it got it right. got exactly it. Uh, he is a total engineer well hey so like if i'm right i'm right yeah, he would he was a stem bro yeah, yeah. he would have fucking loved cal poly i know it's perfect <laughs> <laughs>
arithmetic we established. Plato really kind of thought about the world in that simple arithmetic. He, he thought about human behavior in that same simple way. If you thought, you personally, if you thought about ethics that way, how would you structure society given the chance? Hmm. Like, what would you do if you, if you really believed that studying philosophy was the thing that made you virtuous and that was it? And that, that, like, there's no other moving parts in that scenario. How would you build a society to create a just, you know, uh, Well, that's like the thought of the philosopher city. king thing. Like, that's like whoever is like the smartest it gets to reign. So it's like an oligarchy by those who like know or like by scholars or like how would you? Yeah, that, that would be it, right? Like a bunch of professors. Somebody skimmed the book. I yes. did it. No, 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 no. I did it. I promise. <laughs> I did remember. Really? That. You yeah, just remembered that? King, right? Yeah, that's dope. So, so the totally idea of skimmed. the philosopher king is literally Plato's suggestion for that for that question. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're doing now. So makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We have a philosopher <laughs> king. Oh man, you beat me to it. I was going to make that joke earlier. Plato would have been proud. Oh man. Oh boy. So so of course, being the preeminent thinker of the time. Plato took the opportunity to write his answer to that question, and his answer was a book called The Republic. And to be honest, it's pretty goofy. I'm going to try to give you like a pretty good quick overview, and then we'll, we'll talk about the ideas a little bit. But honestly, the specifics are not that relevant, really. It's the fact that he wrote a book trying to do this that's important, right? <clears throat> the Republic. Okay, in the beginning, Plato... Nope! Sorry, Socrates... Right? It's not Plato. It's Socrates said it. Oh, man. Socrates. Okay. Yeah, Socrates. So, in the beginning, Socrates asks his companions to define justice. They argue for a while about what makes a just individual. Eventually, Socrates suggests that they try instead to define a just city rather than a just individual. They first uh, establish the idea of a social contract. Right, Matt? We talked about this last time, too. We'll, we'll get an episode about the social contract later, but it's cool that it's in, in Plato's Republic. Um, they then go on to conclude that, logically, society must be broken into separate groups with prescribed roles from birth, including an elite group of uh, philosopher kings living in a carefully censored environment. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Obviously. Obviously, right. Lo- so, logically. So, had, like, were they, are, like, at this point, do you think, are they, like, just hashing through known stuff to kind of get to the meat of things like i assume the idea of a social contract has already been explored like either formally or informally like you couldn't have a city without someone being like yeah wouldn't it be better if we all just work together or is this actually like the first time that someone ever been like this is what a social contract yeah well so I should show you. I should show you the episode that Matt and I pretend recorded. Like I listened to it back. Oh, so so okay. So that that's something that yeah was totally not actually discussed until philosophers started talking about things. Right? Like Hmm. yeah, humans just had to live together in groups, and they just naturally grew bigger. I don't. I don't think anybody sat down and really thought about like what are we all agreeing to when we do this. Um, which is why this is uh this is important because like the Republic was one of the first recorded. Uh, examples of strange making with regards to society, like structurally. And I bet they they were all probably told how they should act by whoever was in charge because they were a democracy, right? They must have been one of the earlier ones. Yeah. And until you have a democracy, I'm sure people don't think, what do I want this to be? It's always who's telling me what I ought to be doing. And if I disobey them, will they 
punish me. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to have room to have that thought. But, I mean, was it a democracy at this point? Or, sorry, I forgot the history yeah, lesson. Yeah, this is, so, yeah, it, it would be, it would be again, right? So the, the, um, the, 30 tyrants were gosh i wish i actually wrote down how, how, how many years but it was just a handful of years that they were in charge some okay, five yeah. to ten years something like that and then they they got deposed and it was you know back to athenian democracy and that's when socrates was uh, executed and stuff right got it that was after the after the thirsty 30 got deposed <laughs> um so uh plato realizes wait socrates realizes while talking about this, that everyone would be really, really happy and fulfilled in their casts that he put them in. <laughs> and they would be really stoked and fulfilled. He's like, he goes and he's like, oh, and then we can see why it would be really obvious that this would make everyone really happy if they just did what I told them. <laughs> like, like he, it's great. He like, it like occurs to him, oh, people would be really stoked to do this too. Awesome. Um, and then, so to further understand justice, as that was, again, the premise of the original conversation, right? He, uh, the book starts with, like, Plato asking them to define justice. It's not defined as just individual. Yeah, Socrates. <laughs> God damn it. So Socrates asks, asks his buddies to define justice. Not a just city, not a just individual. It's, it's supposed to be, it's an exploration of justice itself. They begin to answer the question in terms of an individual because that's just sort of, you know, I think that's a um, just sort of a, a natural reaction, right? That's an obvious assumption. Like, what is justice? Well, let's see. What does a person do to be just? So then Plato says, well, hey, how about instead of trying to understand a just individual, let's find uh, examples of what a just city would be like, right? What is a, a just uh, state? So to further understand justice... Um, Socrates leads his friends on a imaginary tour of their imaginary city and he like observes examples of virtue as he walks around and observes all these different members of different castes. So like he takes them on like an imaginary vision quest and he's like, oh, look at all the happy people over there. Like, oh man, those people are so stoked to pick up our trash. That's really virtuous. Oh, look, the philosopher kings are like super stoked to be locked in the castle with like no secular music, right? Because that would, you know, that would break their little brains and they're all super happy there. And that's an example of virtue right so <laughs> literally mm. like it's like he's observing things it's really funny literally like they walk around a pretend city and he's like oh check out the happy people over here and the happy people over there uh so then he goes on to paint analogies back to the individual he uses this idea of the just city and the examples of like the the happy members of that city as an analogy again right it's argument from analogy just like everything used to be to talk about the individual uh more specifically he's really focused on the soul so he gives us some like really awesome self-improvement pop psychology advice about the tripartite soul and not being in conflict with oneself. This is that like the part where he's like, okay, so the city has these three different important parts. So your soul has three different important parts too. And like if the parts of the city don't get along, that's like the parts of your soul don't get along. And then you're bad at philosophy and you do bad <laughs> stuff like stealing because you don't understand what's good. Solid. Right? Lock tight. So then, and this like that seems to me like a pretty like easy play. He should have finished the book right there, right? Like that seems like the natural conclusion. Okay, great. So the city's like the soul. Okay, we get it. Now we know what justice is. But no, instead they go back 
And there's like a new chapter where they just start talking about nitty gritty details about like the actual education of the philosopher kings. So like one of one of Socrates' buddies is like, but but like if we educate the men the men and the women together, wouldn't that cause this problem or whatever? And like, dog, it's all imaginary anyway. Why are you asking that stupid question? And they they go on for like another two chapters about just stupid details about like what it would actually look like to build a stupid city. So one thing I kind of skimmed the Wikipedia article on uh, on this, Please. and uh, my favorite point in this whole book came up during this conversation, which is like, yeah, he says like he has like three rules, and it's like mm-hmm. men and women uh, should be everyone should be educated together. And you're like, oh, okay, awesome, cool. And then the second point is like women are owned by men. (laughs) And then point three is that women and children should be shared among all men in the city. Like, like any man has any woman he wants and they're all being shared. Like, like the child shouldn't know who its parents are is the idea. Like it should have no idea who its parents are. And it's just, everyone's raised everybody together. And then, um, and then he kind of like casually mentions it. And then like, Four or five chapters later, they're like, hey, what about that part where, like, women are owned by men? Can we talk about that some more? Because that was, like, super, that was a cool idea. And then they talk about that for, like, another chapter. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of kind of cool. Yes. <laughs> that, they literally, that's what, that's what I mean. It's just like, oh, hey, but the part about the, yeah, the, part about the ladies? Yeah. Let's, let's think, let's plan this a little bit better. How do we make sure that, they, do we have to educate them? Are you sure? Hey, at least. Literally, one of the guys, like, do we have to educate least, the women together with the men? Yeah, otherwise, how would they yeah, agree to this obvious At least they were conclusion? honest about their intentions. You know? I mean, our constitution didn't spell that stuff out. So, I mean, <laughs> they're at least transparent. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yo, yo, point. yo, bro. Yeah, yeah. So, let's have, like, this philosopher, dude. And, like, we own all women, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, wait. So, so then they go back and argue about the nitty-gritty details again, right? And then Socrates talks about what a corrupted, tyrannical city would look like, and thus, of course, what a tyrannical, corrupted soul would look like, because, like, if the city's bad, that's what the soul would look like if it was bad, too, obviously. Um, And then Socrates, out of nowhere, like, ends the book by explaining why imitative art has no place in the city. Uh, Reincarnation is true. Oh, and, like, artists and imitative art are bad. Oh, okay. (laughs) Wait, artists and imitative art well specifically imitative art and the artists that create imitative art oh okay yeah because it's like trying to imitate the forms but it also is like a further degradation of the already degraded shadow Mm -hmm. of the it's like he is offended by the idea of like further degrading the form by Mm -hmm. trying to imitate oh dude he he really hates subjectivity (laughs) so he's like not a fan of drake is what (laughs) (laughs) yeah That that's the gist of what I'm hearing. He's like not into Drake. Not into Drake. Uh, well, you know, uh, but I mean, he does like Cardi B. <laughs> yeah, Likes Cardi dude, B. Stand Cardi so yeah. hard. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, wait. Okay, so that was a lot of ideas, right? The stuff about owning women and about the three parts of the soul and reincarnation and art and stuff. It's a lot, but there are a couple ideas in there that are super important context for any kind of large-scale discussion of ethics or political philosophy. First, as we talked about the very idea of proposing a theoretical society whole cloth as a philosophical experiment. Uh, Obviously, Plato was probably not the first to actually do it, but he's kind of like, he's kind of like the Beatles of doing this, right? He's the one who like made it a thing. Um, And secondly, the attempt to refine a definition of justice through the exploration and comparison of theoretical injustices, the way that we might talk about today, like, is it, is it more just 
to limit someone's free speech to protect somebody else's you know feelings or to keep someone else from being oppressed right we are in that in that uh in that instance we're comparing injustices right telling someone sorry you can't say that is is an injustice of a kind but also oppressing someone with your words is an injustice of a kind right so that's comparing injustices to try to get a better idea of what justice means and that plato is like our earliest concrete source for that type of thought and he does that through the republic and lastly There's a quote from a British author uh, and philosopher named Julian Baghini, and I think it captures so perfectly what the Republic is and why we still talk about it that I had to share it. Uh, He points out that while the Republic, quote, was wrong on almost every point, the questions it raises (laughs) and the methods it uses are essential to the Western tradition of philosophy. Without it, we might not have philosophy as we know it. And that, I think, is the takeaway from this episode. Ask questions. Just ask. Ooh. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Speaking of questions, you guys have any any other thoughts or questions about Plato or the Republic or Socrates or Charmander <laughs> or anything? I think strange making is the one thing I'm going to remember. Yeah. So, and strange making is like the one thing that's common to this entire podcast as far as I'm concerned. That's That's like, for me, that's the nugget. That's that good nug. It's a good nug. <laughs> Well, I think I think for myself, it's like um, it's funny because I, I have a belief in like scalability and like there's like different structures that are like kind of repeat themselves. And there obviously is like something for me in that. Uh, but to see it like be, I guess, transcribed into a philosophy or into like a way of of like societally like or like constructing a society just like doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, of course, there's such, yeah. such a thing as a scalability, but like you can't really apply that like as a blanket <laughs> mm. Definition for everybody's life. Like it is a good thought experiment, but it doesn't build a useful system. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's some, there's, there's something to it, but there's no, there's, it's it's not a form of governance. You can't govern by just scalability. No, no, Plato said we could. (laughs) Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. You mean you must not have studied enough philosophy yet, Nestor? I can't be the king. I guess. Damn. Um, and that's like, that's exactly what even uh, Aristotle said is like, yeah, this is great. Like you got some good ideas, but this is not actually a workable system by any means. Um, I think one thing uh, when I was kind of skimming through that we didn't, I, I, maybe I missed it, but I feel like we didn't talk so much, but was Socrates is talking about, um, like, it seemed like a main point of the conversation was like, is it better to live a just life or an unjust life? And like, at the end of the day, like, like, uh, what was better for you? And so, and like one guy was advocating like, um, well, it's better to live an unjust life because like the caveat to an unjust life is the gods will favor you if you like give a lot of money to religion. So if you live an unjust life and get like filthy rich and then just give enough money to like the church, then you're, will be, you'll be super cool in the afterlife. So that to me, that's like such an engineer. <laughs> philosophy move. That's, like, that's what all the, the STEM kids in my philosophy classes would be like, but if you're in a dream, you can look at the clock and you'll see the hands are incorrect. And then you know, you're not being deceived. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and that's what that's saying. That's, you know, that's how I feel about yeah. that. And so, and then, and Socrates or Plato kind of gives a counter argument, which I actually thought was, was pretty solid. And he says like, He's like, um, you know, a living a just life is a part of of the social contract. If you know, if you're if everybody's unjust, then the social contract can't be uh, fulfilled. And he's like, you know, you think if you're uh, if you live unjust, that that's living free. 
But actually, if everyone lives a just life, um, everyone has more of their needs met, and then they're actually more free to do the things that they really want to do, right? If everyone's unjust, then you're like always basically trying to get your needs met by fucking other people over, and like nobody gets really like nobody gets what they want. And so he's like, it's actually more free, and freedom is like his is kind of his his benchmark for whether or not it's good. He's like, it's actually more free to be just. I thought actually that was like a really cool, like translatable point to to kind of the modern world. I thought that was I don't know. I was like, I actually kind of got something right. Yeah, that's so, a good. Uh, so that's yeah, like that's yeah, the no. social uh, social contract. Yeah, I guess that's pretty yeah, much the social contract. But it's a really good way to explain it. Yeah. Yeah, but when you flip that and you like think about today and like <laughs> uh, the social contract and what like obviously like we we reward people that don't abide yeah, by the social yeah. contract. We reward them. Uh, monetarily, we reward them by really just raising them up and putting them on a pedestal. So, what is more free in that sense? Is it freeing to go beyond the social construct and just or contract and just do whatever the fuck you want? Like, obviously, we reward it now. Yeah. So, what is the what is what, the what is that? What is that balance? What is just like your assholes? If only we didn't have ass. If only everybody studied philosophy, then the social contract would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I think I think as long as there's people willing to to do bad things, there will always be that balance in the social contract, right? Where like you need some like large majority of people to to do the right thing and then it lets a few people get away with doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like there's always going to be people who take advantage of that, I think. So there's we're just... sheep you're saying and we should oh, yeah. probably be stealing things. Mm, just yeah. me. You oh, guys got to behave. Well, I mean, that's a th- No, every yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All you guys, yeah, right. All right, okay. Well, I mean, also, like, also, like, if you don't believe in, like, you know, if you don't believe in an afterlife or you don't believe in anything metaphysical, then, like, if this, if this earth and if this world is your reward, then if living an unjust life gives you those rewards, then why is that not just? Mm. Okay, Ayn Rand. <laughs> Somebody does think that. <laughs> we don't like them. Yeah, girl. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not saying uh, subscribe to that thing. I'm just, I'm just asking. You? I don't think you've studied enough philosophy yet. I'm a capitalist, all right? Leave me alone. (laughs) New York, baby. (laughs) Top of the rock. Yeah, dude, that city. I told you I I worked for the devil. Yeah, you used to be a squishy San Diego boy with me. What happened? We were so soft and innocent. Peak empire, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, anything else relevant? You're, You're cute. Thanks, man. Still got it. Still got it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, guys, after all is said and done, I think more has been said than done, but it's been a pleasure, as always. I'd like to thank the French cassettes. Oh, no, it's not the... I'd like to thank French cassettes for the use of their Seahorse EP for our intro and outro music. They've put out a couple more albums since then as well, and it's all absolutely fantastic music. Please go check it out. You can find them at fullfrenchy.com. That's F-U-L-L-F-R-E-N-C-H-Y.com. I'd also like to thank U.S. Game Systems for their use of the Smith Weight Tarot Mark for our cover art. You can find us on all your social media under the name Ergo Sum Podcast. If you'd like to help cover our hosting fees and technical upgrades, you can find us at patreon.com slash Podcast. Also, feel free to email us at ergosumpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, corrections, or ideas, or whatever, uh, get at me. Thanks much. Catch you all next time. Wait, do we get to do shout-outs?
Yeah, you want to do a shout out? Yeah, guest gets to guest gets to do shout like tell them where you can find us yeah, at. Dude. You know, shameless plug. What are you working on? Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm not working on anything, but you can find me uh, <laughs> at my phone number, uh, area code five four one five two one five 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 five. What's your social security <laughs> <laughs> address? Uh. I'm going to upload a, a like HD picture of your face. You can hit me up on Steam <laughs> <laughs> at Ronakin24. <laughs> Smash that like and subscribe. <laughs> Matt, you got anything going on? You're probably taking a nap, I bet, huh? Yeah. I don't have any social media. You got to come to my house. You have to have a social life to have social media, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Want to give out your personal uh, phone number? Uh, Address, no. social security. <laughs> okay. It's okay. I'll, I'll post it later. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. What about what about uh, account and routing number, Matt? Huh? Your account and routing number, please. No. You can Venmo Matt at Dash Malika Diet. Patreon. Wait, Nestor, you actually make stuff. What do you have going on? You're doing all kinds of stuff. What what things are you doing that you can talk about or want to talk about? Yeah, you all can find me on xvideos.com. Uh, <laughs> fuck, what was I say? No, uh, well, you know, I I play music. You can uh, look us up. It's Satellite Empire. Can you play music and, again? And uh, I also run a uh, music label called New Dawn Collective. Pause. pause, pause, pause. You play music again? No. <laughs> you just said I play music. Did you just lie you, on a podcast? You can't just lie on the internet, bro. I guess I did. I'm sorry, but no, you would love the new stuff, Milo. It's like super, uh, super like metalcore, electronic. Wait, you showed too. me something. Wait, I, love I'm it. asking because are you actually like making, making the? Are you playing guitar again? I'm playing guitar. Yeah, I'm playing guitar. I don't produce Sick. anymore. People just write the songs around my guitar just because I don't have time. Really? Mm-hmm. Wild. That's the exact opposite of what you've done like since forever. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's super fun. So I basically just track Eileen sing, and then somebody else takes it and packages it up into a song. Nice. Wait. Amazing. So what's the band? Satellite Empire? Satellite Empire. Yeah, I talked all over it the first time. Yeah, you did. And, uh, well, and I guess this is just like some shameless plugging, but I wanted to up- update you because I haven't seen you in a while, Dad. Uh, yeah. Did I tell you about Aline's new film? Um, I think I saw something online about it, but I don't think Well, no, she's, so she's the assistant editor on Jon Stewart's new film, Irresistible, which is nuts. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And when's, that, when's that coming out? 2020. I don't know when. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Be on the look. Yeah. yeah. What about your other film film projects? Is any of that stuff like actually like is that? Yeah. No. Well, he wants to be a director, so he. So yeah. So Eileen got on that, and then uh, over the summer, I'll be doing all the NFL team stuff. So my company sponsor, well, my company's client Verizon sponsors the NFL, and we do like a bunch of different installations in like thir- about ten, ten to twelve stadiums. So I'll be doing that all yeah. summer and basically until the end of the season, until the Super Bowl. Um, Damn. which is super great because I love football so much. You love football so much. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I actually don't even know if Doug Flutie is part of the Chargers or the Padres. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's what it's I'm Padres. Doing Padres is the Padres. Yeah. Oh, and I, oh, and uh, uh, we are working towards. Well, I'm going to be a co-executive producer on uh, Joseph Wadke's film, which is a direct, one of the directors of Narcos. He did five episodes for Narcos. So that's oh, happening at the end of this year. Cool. Very cool. 
Sweet. Yeah. That sounded like plugs from a podcast I'd actually listen to. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. dope. This is a podcast you actually <laughs> listen to. <laughs> yeah, you just listened. You can't even help it. You that's had no true. choice. You listened. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Freaking, that's deep. <laughs> Dude, that three people already listened to the Four people. I count myself too. Wait, what about Aline's podcast? Is that happening anytime soon? Uh, she doesn't have time right now, but she wants to do yeah. it really bad. Um, we're okay. really working towards her having a couple of scripts by the end of summer. Uh, because luck, it me- luck is opportunity meeting preparedness. So we want to be prepared in case yeah. anything comes up. Yep. That's like I told myself. I like I gotta gotta record and edit and have ready the first yep. episode before my birthday is what I told myself. Exactly. Good to set those little like made up made up deadlines. You gotta put. You gotta push it, man. Nothing's arbitrary. Like you're on your own timeline, yeah. and that's all that matters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why I was up until two a.m. last night finishing writing this with a one-year-old asleep on my arm. <laughs> I literally was laying in bed writing the end of that script in my phone. I'll give uh, I'm going to give one more one more plug and that's for Cruz. And uh yeah, if you see him on the road, just, you know, be a little nice, you know. Just wait like one more second before you honk. Be patient. It's a baby robot. Yeah, maybe just don't cut him off. Amen. Is it good training if I try to run it off the fucking road? <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And then it helps it learn how to yeah. drive. Yeah. And if you and if you see one on the road, you know, send me the date and time and the name of the car, and I'll send you a picture. <gasps> oh, of yourself. Oh, I keep forgetting to, to check the name of them. Don't forget the name. Where's the name? All over. Like, on the front, on the back, on the sides. Are the, are the cruise cars anywhere other than San Francisco? Nope. Okay. So, to our <laughs> San Franciscans. Yeah. <laughs> write so, down, so, now, remember, Nicola gave you his personal <laughs> phone number. That's his cell phone number. Yeah. So, write that down. San yeah. Francisco. Write down Nicola's cell phone number yeah. and look for him, first of all. If you see him, give him a hug. He's a delightful person. Secondly, if you see a cruise car, write down the name, the date, and the no. time. And then text him yeah. <laughs> anonymously and ask for a picture of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good idea. Nothing creepy. And then wait, and then and then post it on what is it? X videos and hashtag it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast. Yeah, Ergo Zoom on X videos. You all check me out. Nicola, that's nothing. Okay, there's a there's a, a story, an apocryphal story about about our high school that Nestor and I went to, Saints, where they apparently for a long time they used to go to Disneyland after graduation, like the senior class would go to Disneyland. Yeah. Um, but Nestor, you're shaking your head. Do you know? Do you know? Is this story is this story fake? That and I and it's. Do you know what I'm what I'm gonna say? No, I don't. I don't actually, I don't think so. Really? Okay. So the 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 Saints graduating class was at their their like you know late night Disneyland. All the 18 year olds go crazy, right? They actually do this event. So like Disneyland lets like graduating older kids come, and it's like specifically for like teenagers yeah. and graduating high school kids. So the, the the graduating seniors from Saints they went on Tom Sawyer Island, right? You know the Tom Sawyer Island. They on the way over they pushed the Disneyland like you know employees off the raft into the water and took the raft and, and took both of the rafts or whatever, right? So they made it so nobody else could get on or off the island. Oh, they yeah. had to like yeah, take yeah. possession of the island. What they didn't realize, and you know, now we all know, Disneyland has underground tunnels. Yeah, so, like, secret back doors staff members started popping up out of the ground on the island and like kids were jumping off and swimming across and like <laughs> some of the kids actually made their way into those tunnels, ended up in Disneyland jail, yeah. which 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. What you forgot story. is that Disneyland is actually a totalitarian police state uh, <laughs> <laughs> under which you are under permanent surveillance anywhere you go. Yeah. You are. Wait, wait. I'm not kidding. Yeah, super. And Disneyland Jail is real, too. Yeah. <laughs>